soon as it came to Mohamed Salah, he just slots it in the top corner. Top 90 for Mohamed Salah. Pick that out of the net. Wonderful ball retention too. Although Kokolau did his best to foul him. Still has art. Can he round this up here? some more movement going the other way in Manchester City Blue this time Leroy Sané with two to hit in the middle Jesus and Sterling Silva and De Bruyne joining in as well it is De Bruyne, it's two it's clinical from defence into attack in the blink of an eye and a top corner finish of top quality from Kevin De Bruyne Manchester City have emerged for the second half Alexis. Would you believe it? Two goals in two minutes for Paul Pogba and Manchester United and we're level at the Etihad. You are listening to Banter FC joining me on the line for the very first time. He's a Liverpool fan. Not only is he a passionate Liverpool fan, he's a very opinionated fan. Liverpool fan. I've been recommended by him by the Two Gringos podcast, a Liverpool podcast, which you can hear me on in a couple of weeks. Join me on the line for the very first time. It is Stan White. How are you doing today, Stan? Uh, I'm doing great, man. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to get a chance to uh, chat about the league we love, the Premier League. You know, what a great couple of weeks so far. You know, we got a big matchup. We're recording on Monday at halftime of the Spurs versus Man United game. So when we get to the end of this podcast, we'll get our initial thoughts at the full-time whistle of United versus Spurs. But first, we're going to start with the team atop of the league. They got the job done versus Brighton Hove Albion, who had a shocking victory last weekend against Man United, winning 3-2. At Anfield, Liverpool get the job down 1-0. Mo Salah, who would have thunk it? Scores yet another goal for Liverpool. First up, Stan, you're a Liverpool fan. You've been a fan for a long time. The last couple of seasons, this 1-0 KG game, narrow chance after chance being missed by Liverpool. Usually those lower-end teams would have been getting results. They would have gotten an equalizer. You know, last Saturday, that didn't happen. What do you think that's coming down to? Do you think the defense is getting better? Do you think a little luck is going Liverpool's way? Or is it their attack being on the front foot so often is kind of helping them not get countered as much? What do you think is the reason why like a result like this 1-0 victory didn't end up being 1-1 like it would have been in years past? I think it comes down to, uh, besides the staunch defending, thanks to Virgil van Dijk, really solidifying the back four, um, there's, a, there's a couple things there. I think uh, Alison Becker's uh, definitely submitting himself, if not one of the best keepers in the world, and definitely one of the best uh, playing club, uh, club football in England. Uh, uh, we actually lead the continent with um, the most clean sheets since uh, Virgil signed first back in January. I believe it's 11 or something of that sort, but it does lead the Prem. Uh, so going back to then, we're the only club to not concede uh, a goal uh, this season. And that, and I really, I really want to give credit to our midfield. The midfield of uh, Keita Milner and Jeannie Wijnaldum has been just spectacular week in and week out to start the season. Uh, obviously, uh, we would have expected a lot more from Fabinho being signed from Benfica. Um, Jordan Henderson had a long summer with England in the World Cup. Uh, uh, Sheridan Shakiri hasn't exactly found a spot to fit in just yet, so 
with all and, you know Adam Lallana is still in the reserve role, so that front that that midfield three has really been key to mm-hmm. shutting down a lot of attacking sides, uh, especially with the away win at Crystal Palace as well. You saw that midfield three dominate, and it did a lot more of the same retaining pressure uh, possession and uh, just being the effective on the press. I think I think it starts with those three, and then um, it kind of leads backwards. It leads back back into that core. You know, it's, it's interesting because you watched it. There was a couple of chances for Brighton towards the end of the game. They had that, I think Pascal Gross had one very, very late on, gets in between the two defenders, and you mentioned it very first. Becker makes a huge save, and he gets there, and he makes a save. And years prior, uh, Aminule, Icarius, they don't get to that ball, and you guys would go on to concede. So I've been having Liverpool fans on. I'm a Manchester United fan. I'm going to be open with you about this. But I can unbiasedly talk about Liverpool with Liverpool fans and you know give a little objectivity from my United standpoint. And I asked a Liverpool fan last week what the expectations are for the season. I said, is it the title or is it a bust? What do you think the expectation is for the season? He said, you guys are going to be contending for the title. How close are you to being the team that will contend with Manchester City this season? How close do you think personally? you guys are to that top team? I think we're right there. Um, if you look throughout the league, uh, I know we'll get into United later on, but they've had their struggles. Arsenal are under a new regime uh, with Unai Emery, and they still need a lot of uh, uh, a lot of changes to their, squad, to their side. Uh, Tottenham have their struggles with not getting, bringing any transfers in over the summer, so they have no way to add to their depth to a great starting eleven, but no way to really push themselves over the top. Mm-hmm. Chelsea with Sarri have been looking tremendous, actually, in the past few weeks. They could still use some adjusting, and, and their composition hasn't accepted Maybe not back. David Luiz in a center-back position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and maybe start there, and, and maybe... Uh, you know, kind of go forward, going forward, maybe you have Christian Eriksen, uh, not Christian, uh, uh, Christensen. Yeah, yeah, Christensen. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Christensen maybe uh, take his place uh, in the starting 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just with that being said, I, I think Liverpool are, are the second favorites. Um, of course, not a good top of the league, but it's week three. It, we just completed the third match week, so it's going to be very difficult to see who will um, get the – who. The odds on favorites, I think, is is definitely between City and Liverpool, um, and it really comes down to head to head, and that won't happen just yet. But there will be some tests for Liverpool going forward. Uh, but yeah, like you said, in years past, this was a match that we would have uh, dr- uh, drawn uh, one all, two all, or even nil nil. We saw that a lot last season with the club not really taking all three points uh, when necessary, which personally I think is every week. Uh, the, that's obviously the goal, but to actually achieve that sort of result against a very tr- traditionally Brighton or a uh, low-block squad. So they will, you know, throw all 10 men, 10 outfield players behind the ball, and they did a lot of that uh, on Saturday. So to be able to get a result like that without a Phil Coutinho, with a, without a superstar midfielder uh, to help provide um, uh, attacking play with that front three, that's really, it's a, it's a great change. And, and uh and results for, for the, the Mighty Reds. I will have one thing. Bobby Firmino, I think he's such a talented striker, right? He has good ball-playing ability. He's a very smart, intelligent player. But sometimes he misses a lot of chances. And I think he's the one guy, when you look at that Liverpool attack, we talk about Sadio Mane, we talk about Mo Salah, we talk about how good the midfielder midfield is. You know, you have Milner, you know, Gigi Wijnaldum, Naby Keita being added from RB Leipzig. 
it's a very, very good depth team. It's the striker's position and Bobby Firmino, for me, that could be the difference between Liverpool winning the league and Liverpool finishing second or third because he does miss a lot of opportunities. Yes, he does create a lot of opportunities. He does get in a lot of good spaces, but sometimes... Like, he had a golden opportunity to make it 2 nothing, and he just missed a very simple-headed opportunity. To you, is he the weak link for you guys going forward? I know everyone will talk about the defense, but is he the weak link of what could be the difference between a title-winning team and a second-place runners-up position? Uh, he's nowhere near the weak link, in my opinion. I think he, even though he will miss the, miss the chance, the right in front, in front of goal chance, he's done it. A multitude of times um he is the as a false nine he is the press engine behind that front three attack mm-hmm. and while bob but while sadio and uh most are great attacking wingers um call them what you, what you want to call them left wing forward yep uh, is actually the the engine room behind and also that creative flair uh, I don't necessarily want to see him scoring goals as long as he's pressing and involved in the creativity behind engineering the goals. Uh, I'll be very happy with that. I think we'll get enough goals from from Navi Keita, Sheridan Shakiri off the bench, uh, Daniel Sturridge is back in fine form, uh, and of course with the goals you're going to get from Mane and Salah. Uh, I I'm I still sleep easy at night if Bobby has a, a missed chance or two, as long as we win. Now if there's a you know. There might be a match down the line, maybe a way to Burnley, uh, maybe, you know, at Southampton, maybe he misses a chance out in front, we draw nil nil. That could possibly cost the championship, but for right now I, I see him as, as the uh, as the leader of the front three just due to that pressing and creativity. Let's go from a very, very fun, entertaining one zero game. Let's go to the boringest game of the weekend. We have Huddersfield Town versus Cardiff City. Uh, I don't know what to make of Cardiff City. You know, Neil Warnock, he's back in the Premier League. You know, he's made a, a career of being the guy that gets teams promoted to the Premier League, but he's always been that championship manager kind of guy. Not the best tactics, very negative. Uh, they had 27 minutes with a man advantage, and they created very, very little to nothing in those 27 minutes with the extra men. Do you think Cardiff are at risk of being that team that gets promoted and then get immediately relegated to the uh, championship next season? Yeah, I've said it uh, throughout uh, multiple conversations I've had with uh, fans of other clubs and just uh, talking about the game at uh, at nauseum. Just Cardiff City are not a Premier League side. They don't have the talent. Uh, also, Neil Warnock, uh, his style harkens back to uh, 90s football and 90s football to where you will a lot of a lot of tackling, a lot of a lot of long balls. Like, yeah, a lot of collisions, you know, a lot of collisions, spread the ball to the wing, even if you're on the, the, the end line, turn back around and spring across into the into the six-yard area, see if you can get a header on goal. Uh, that's just like the bully ball style that he plays, and that's that really, it, it really leads to you getting relegated, especially with the, the lack of uh, uh, world-class options they have. They don't, they don't have any. You don't need world-class to stay up, but the, the talent there is then at Cardiff. Should we be worried about Huddersfield Town? Three games, nine goals conceded. Obviously, they conceded six against Manchester City, which is, you know, that does happen. City are a very incredibly talented team that can go forward, and they will keep on piling the pressure, and they will run up scores on you. Should we be worried about them, or do we think 
David's a good enough manager to kind of get them out of their situation, and they should be seen as a team that could be safe, maybe challenging for that top 10 position. You know, that 10 position, you know, not a top half of the table team, but a team that can get really close to that mid, you know, mid club level uh, finished. Or should we be worried about them, or do we think, you know, they did get City, they did get a st- tough start to the season, and, you know, obviously those things can, you know, hurt them. You know, you start with Chelsea, you get City, you, you get Cardiff, and you get a point with 10 men. Should we be worried about them, or should we just be, you know what, things happen, tough start to the season, international break is coming up, let's regroup and get points going on in September? Uh, I wouldn't be worried, uh, per se, for them to be in the drop zone. I, I think they, they'll hover probably somewhere in that second tier, the middle of that second tier, so 7, 8 on, down towards 13, 14. Mm-hmm. I think they'll hover in that area. They, uh, I, I think their keeper, Hamer, is actually fairly fairly decent. He made some uh, very capable stops, uh, some good stops. Uh, actually, both keepers were, were rather good on, on, on the pitch. Uh uh, on that day. Let's transition on to... I, what did you say? I said, which tra- well, yeah, we'll transition on to Fulham versus Burnley. Burnley being in the Europa League and Fulham, newly back in the Premier League, spent £100 million on great acquisitions, which include, you know, Surrey from Nice and, you know, Andre Sherloff from Borussia Dortmund, which I think a mutual friend of ours, uh, Christopher Smith, a.k.a. Critty Smith, is a big fan of him, J.K. LOL. Uh, got the good performance out of them, 4-2 victory. Burnley playing in the Europa League, have their backs up against the wall on a potential group stage entry after losing away in Greece. What did you make of Fulham? Uh, first victory back in the Premier League, and what do you think of uh, Mitrovic getting three goals in the first three Premier League matches so far? Uh, I think the the style and attacking uh, play of Fulham will keep them not only safe, but uh, definitely in the top half. I think uh, Mitro is, is probably one of the more talented front men for for wrestling play that got them promoted in the first place. So, uh, with his two goals under uh, 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 that's it's incredible to see the, the kind of talent that they have. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon, 17-year-old sensation. Everybody's been talking about him. He had a great season in the championship. Uh, he starts the Premier League season. He does get an assist in the second game against Spurs. Uh, he gets dropped for this match. What do you think the expectation is for a 17-year-old who has such an incredible first season, first full season in the championship? His team gets promoted. They're in the Premier League. What do you think the expectation at Fulham is around him? Do you think the expectation is him to break into the first team and then eventually be sold? Do you think he has the potential to be another uh, Wilfred Zaha, someone that's very, very talented at a very young age? He makes a move and maybe it doesn't work out on that move. Or do you think he should stay there until he's maybe 19, 20 years old and once he matures a little bit more, look for a move away from Fulham? Where do you think he lands in that situation? Do you think he'll be like a Wilfred Zaha, super talented player? You know, but maybe something happens a little too early and it could affect him later on. I think he'll definitely need some sort of time to adjust. Uh, he actually faded towards the end of last season uh, uh, with the, at Craven Cottage uh, just because of his first full professional season. So you won't see him week in and week out, I don't think, in uh, a very demanding physical league. Uh, he has all the talent uh, to be a Wilfred Saha type, uh, just left-footed capability, very pacey. Uh, very strong shot, uh, very great passer of the ball as well. Um, so he played a lot of left back last season. Now we're not sure if he's going to play more of a, as an attacking midfielder or 
position. Uh, so it, he'll finish up the year in Fulham, I think, if he has a great display. I think they'll they'll probably have no choice but to maybe part ways. He does. He's committed to the club, though, and he loves Fulham. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. So Burnley, I mentioned it on the top. They are in the Europa League. The start of the season hasn't been, you know, obviously what they've expected. Uh, losing two and drawing one, conceding seven. This team, which is, you know, finished, you know, seventh last season. They had such an incredible season. They get into European football. Uh, a lot of expectation on what we expect from them from fans, you know, in the Premier League because, you know, they're that gritty team that grinds teams out. They can win games one to nothing. They can draw with zero zero. They have a lot of fight, a lot of tenacity, and they're one of those teams. Do we really want to play Fulham? You, you see them on the schedule, and it's not a team you want to play. But obviously, Europa League is kind of, you know, affecting them a little bit. Do you think, at the end of the season, do you think that's going to be a negative impact on a possibility of finishing in that top half of the table once again? Or do you think, hey, it's only the first three games of the season, they're going to get their feet underneath them, and they're just going to be fine? I think it's already starting to affect them. I saw an interesting stat uh, just going back over uh, the post-match uh, numbers. Their expected goals conceded uh or XG for uh, for for concession was four point four. They've actually conceded almost double that in seven, as you said. So that really just highlights um, their struggles uh, defensively. I think you've seen uh, not the same exact sharpness from their back four, and also uh, not having Nick Pope available instead uh, the aging Joe Hart, uh, who's obviously on the back end of his career now, as far as uh, playing tight top. Top flight football. It's it's not a great start for Burnley, and I think you could put that down to the Europa League uh, uh, fixtures that they've had to play. It's it's they don't have the depth, you know. They just don't to play twice in a week. Whereas Liverpool, Man United, uh, City, they can reach back into the reserves. They can reach back into the academy and say, hey, we need we need depth for this for this fixture uh, for maybe a group stage match that maybe they've already uh, maybe they've already qualified for the next round, but. Well, you know, you said something really funny that, you know, City could dip into their academy and play their academy players for extra depth. That was actually absolutely hilarious that you that you would actually say that. I'm not going to lie. Just I can't, I got just got to put it out there, you know. I just got to put it out there. It is hilarious. They, they, they don't do it very often, but uh, it, it's, a, it's available to Pep. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's available to Pep. I could say the same for Jurgen Klopp. He, he needs to maybe do that a bit more often, too. But the thing about Liverpool, and I will say this, is that they will buy younger talent, even if they don't use their quote-unquote academy players. They they will buy younger players and give them opportunities. I mean, you look at you know Robertson, and you look at you know Alexander. You know they're giving them opportunities. Those are young players. You don't see Pep Guardiola, you know, giving a Phil Foden who wins you know like the Golden Ball at the U17 World Cup, who's in the squad. They have a 19-point lead in the Premier League, and he doesn't get any minutes. How does a player? in a team that's 19 points better than the second-best team, not play any games. Like, you won the title in April. Give the kid right. a game. Just give the kid a game. Yeah. You, know, uh, you saw Sinchenko get uh, a lot more minutes, but that was uh, down to really a lack of depth in their injury, uh, injury on the uh, with their wingbacks. Uh, mm-hmm. Mondi not being available, Danilo not being very effective. Fabian Delft was also uh, unavailable. By the mm-hmm. way, Harry Kane just scored, so... That's not good because uh, I'm behind you in your stream, so he probably just scored on this ensuing corner. So now I'm depressed. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I do apologize. <laughs> yeah, uh, and of course uh, it is a great uh, set piece delivery by Trippier. Hey, yep, that's that's a pretty damn good header. And look, guess, guess yeah. who's marking him? It's Phil Jones. 
Phil Jones. So, Phil Jones. You know, way back into the starting eleven. Yep. It's yeah. uh. Should have conceded okay. a pe- should have conceded a penalty. I'm not gonna lie. Should have conceded a penalty. I've always been on the team Chris Smalling game over Phil Jones, but that's just me. But hey, you know, you gotta stand on an island by yourself sometimes. All right. Uh, as you heard, one nothing. United are trailing at Old Trafford after Spurs create nothing in the first half, and then off a great set piece delivery by Trippier. All right, let's transition on to Watford versus Crystal Palace. Uh, Watford, they're playing some really exciting football to start the season. Three wins out of three. If you were a betting man, would you have ever betted any amount of money on Watford to win their first three matches to start the Premier League season? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, just no. I'll... through my notes here. Um, so it's very surprising to see them three for three and also with the uh, defensive record that they have as well. And very surprising. However, with that said, there is talent on that side. There is talent. Uh, you know, but maybe they shouldn't have won because maybe Etienne Capu maybe should have gotten the uh, red card there for stamping on Zaha's uh, Achilles. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Definitely. It's very interesting, right? Because we will talk about the Everton game and Rick Carlson kind of doing a little head bob and getting a red card. This, you know, the dangerous play, right? It's very inconsistent. So, like, you don't know, like, okay, this is dangerous play. Like, last season, Sadio Mane going high on Ederson, that was a red card. We just saw in this game with Spurs versus United, Lucas Morick, you know, puts his foot right into Phil Jones's face, and it's only a yellow card. I think right. sometimes the dangerous play and things in this, you know, these acting out situations, I think we need to have a clear ruling in the rule book saying, if this player does this kind of action... This is going to lead to a red card because there's so there's so much open-ended stuff that one referee might see it one way and another referee sees it the un- another way. Which you know there's nothing wrong with having that, you know, having that open viewpoint. But it's very inconsistent, you know, in some some games and it's two nothing Spurs now. Lucas Moura scoring, uh, that that ability and that you know way of looking it makes it inconsistent. And you know Liverpool could play one game and it's a red card, and the next game the same thing happens to them and it's a yellow card. You need to have that Which consistency. Literally, that was the, the case last season, and that still angers me every time I think about that, that we saw actually a hybrid challenge on an opposing goalkeeper and nothing. Uh, I, I, there was a yellow card, I think, but, uh, yeah, not, even, not a straight red, like how Saudi Amade got set off mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the end. So, yeah, there does need to be consistency. Um, and it, uh, what I noted was it doesn't matter what minute of the match it is, fourth or not, uh, a red card is a red card, especially for... Uh, malicious act like that. All right, Roberto Pereira, he's had a great start to the season, the former Juventus fan. You know, he was always on the fringes at Juventus, never really cracking it into the first-team squad. And now he's come to the Premier League. He's a main guy at a, you know, a mid-club level team, and he's playing really confidently right now. He's playing some really good football. Uh, What do you think we as fans should expect from him this season? Is he a 5-plus goal scorer in the Premier League from midfield? Is he a 10-goal guy? What do you think the expectation is for him as a player i i would uh i'm reminded a lot of uh richarlison's start uh with watford last last season that i look at him i close my eyes i see a lot of richarlison attacking winger uh very dynamic uh very powerful uh very powerful shot someone who can be a game buster uh for for a club especially for a mid-level club such as watford Mm -hmm. and it's kind of uh there's no surprise that with Perea, his uh, just dynamism, the dynamic play uh, in the attacking third. Uh, that was a great curling shot too for his goal on the 
on the weekend. Mm-hmm. I, I think someone like him could be a 10 to 15 goal scorer and really provide Watford with that extra little that they need to get into that, that like you said, that second tier there to be at the top of that second tier. Mm-hmm. The second league, as they call it. How bad is Christian Benteke now? What happened to him? I mean, you're down 2-1, right? And Roy Hodgson, who we mentioned with, you know, with Mr. Neil Warnock, it, he doesn't. It's not like he's reinventing the way football needs to be played, right? He's he, he's not reinventing the wheel here. You get the ball wide, you go towards the target guy, and that's how you play. The fact that you're down a goal with five minutes to go, and you take off one center forward and you put on a second center forward in the place of that center forward, that isn't a good look for Christian Benteke. That he's not even he's being called off when you're chasing a game. Yeah. How far has he fallen? Um. From being uh, a national team first uh, first choice selection uh, for his nation, he is now um, pretty much uh, he's fallen from grace, and you see his lack of confidence. The physicality is still there, the skill is still there, the talent is still there. He's a lot like uh, Rom- uh, Romelu Lukaku in that he's very gifted with his feet. It's just that Lukaku plays with more confidence right now. Uh, and Benteke hasn't had it for about three seasons. Honestly, since he left Liverpool, uh, he just he really hasn't had it. He struggled in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, he struggled mightily. And I don't know if that's down to lifestyle. I don't, I don't want to uh, you know say anything ill about the man. I don't know anything of him besides his struggles on the pitch. But he has suffered from a, a great lack of confidence. And uh, luckily for Palace, they have a decent amount of talent around them. Uh, with Andrews Townsend, uh, Wilfred Zaha, we mentioned him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they won't really suffer too much, but it'd be, it would be great just for Benteke if he could kind of swing it around. It's still early on in the season, so maybe. But that that missed chance right out in front of goal, yeah. just, yeah, it's two feet away. That should be a goal anytime. Anytime, that should be a goal. And it's sad because we mentioned it. He was so good at Villa. Every time you played against Villa, you gave him a half chance in the area from across. If you, it popped up to his feet, because at one point I think a lot of people forget this. It was the old, who's better, is it Benteke or Lukaku? There was there was that there was a discussion at one time that yeah. which one was the better one, and we've seen they both made moves. One went to Everton, one went to you know, one went to Liverpool, and right. obviously. Lukaku went up from Everton to Man United, finishing second in the league last season, to Benteke going to Crystal Palace. And Wilfred Zaha, a winger, being converted into a striker and kind of being the guy. Uh, mentioning Zaha, what do you think his ceiling is now? Do you think he ever wants to leave Crystal Palace? I mentioned it earlier in the podcast that he had the opportunity, he goes to United, and it doesn't work out for him, right? You know, they change managers. Maybe Sir Alex stays. You know, Sir Alex likes his, his skillful young wingers, the Nannies, the Ronaldos, very young, you know, have a lot of skill in their game. But, you know, maybe they need to be a little refined and retuned. Uh, Moyes comes in, Van Hal comes in, and then he obviously it doesn't work out and he leaves and goes back to Palace and he becomes this superstar kind of player. Do you think he should leave Palace or do you think he should just be the guy at Palace for the next couple of years and retire as a club legend. What do you think, if you were in his situation, what would you do? I, I, I would have to think that, that he needs to recognize that he, at, at a club like Palace, he can be that star player, that superstar player. I don't really believe that if he were on a top six side in any league, uh, that he would be uh, that same sort of consistent starter, that that uh, do it 
himself. He is pretty much responsible for any and all palace goals. Uh, just with uh, his his dynamic dynamic runs down the wing and cutting into the box, and with his technical skill on a side like Palace, where you know you have a and take his struggles. You have a Townsend who likes to float around the outside of the box, not necessarily attacking the goal. Uh, he needs to be that star player on a mid-tier club. I don't think he would be, have the same effectiveness. I don't know. I think else. I think United could use him on right wing. I don't know about you, but I think if <laughs> if, if you if you got this, I said this to somebody. I said if you took this Wilfred Zaha in this form with this confidence, because back I think a lot of people forget when he first started busting bursting on the scene. He used to do so much stepovers and skills, right? It was like obnoxious how much he would try to dribble. Like he would beat the guy, and then he would bring the ball back, and then try to beat them again. It was like watching a, a kid like play like on YouTube. It would just be like he would nutmeg you, bring the ball back, try to nutmeg you again, and then get the cross off. He was always doing one too many extra skill. Now it's just he knows what he's got to do to beat the guy, and now he's scoring a ton of goals. And I I would love to see him make the move back to a top six club, but. You could be the guy at Palace for a long time, make a lot of money, set all the records there, the Premier League records, and ride off into the sunset, which would be really cool for him. Uh, let's transition on to Chelsea versus Newcastle. Uh, we mentioned Sarri a little bit earlier and how they've started the season, three out of three, three victories. Uh, he brings excitement to the team. You know, Antonio Conte, kind of this really strict and kind of a dick kind of personality. Now you get Sarri, who smokes a pack of cigarettes, enjoys eating pizza, Let's have fun. Let's play some real nice, inventive football. Be creative. They get the job done against Newcastle. What do you think Chelsea's going to be like this season? Do you think they're going to be uh, top four? Do you think maybe they'll struggle like Napoli does towards the end of the season because Sarri you know, doesn't always rotate his team as much as that he should? What is Chelsea in your, in your eyes as the team this upcoming season? I, I do think that they'll be a top four side. Uh a couple of clubs are going through a period transition, as we mentioned earlier. So mm-hmm. I think the room is there for Chelsea and Sarri Ball to really be um, a, a definite European Champions League uh, qualifier, as well as uh, putting pressure on Liverpool's, United's, the cities of the world. Um, with with all that being said, and a missed chance for Jesse Lingard, and they're still down to nil. I think that with, with that being said. I, I really expect to see a lot more from uh, from N'Golo Conte in his advanced role. I think that's very interesting how he's naturally a CDM, but in this... Uh, I like him in that position, league. right? You, yeah, I like him in that position because, because he has such good, you know, he's got good, you know, stamina. He's always running, and I think when you play a press like they do, him having a guy like that be the guy that's going to run around and start the press and just be able to go all over the pitch, right. I, I think it's... A perfect person. I think it's absolutely perfect. And it's crazy that people talk about how, oh no, he you know, he he doesn't have this in his game and he doesn't got that in his game and he's scoring goals to start the season. He's getting forward. Jorginho, I think it's just gonna be a perfect pivot player for them as well. And right. I like him in the advanced position. I think he could score five Premier League goals. I know he's only scored two Premier League goals in the past two seasons, but I see five goals in his future. That's just me. I could be absolutely crazy, and I know people have said that about me, but I think N'Golo Conte has the ability to play in that, you know, in that roaming midfield position, getting around the field, and I think his overall attacking game will improve as well. What say you, Stan? Uh, Tyler, I agree, and uh, honestly, I think I, I'm reminded a lot of uh, Nabi Keita, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, in, in that just box to box, but more so as a pressing roamer. 
uh, someone who can just uh, effectively attack the ball and help spring attacks. And like you said, he is the, he's the engine, he has the motor, mm-hmm. uh, he has also the skill to put the ball in the back of the net. It's just, I think he never had that support in a Jorginho uh, who, who can, can be that fulcrum right in front of the uh, back, back four or back three, uh, hmm. whatever it is that they wind up playing week to week. I think it is a back four now. It's a yeah, it's a back three. four. Yeah, it's a back four. So uh, having a Jorginho as that pivot uh, will actually, like you said, it will uh, unlock Conte, and I'm really interested to see if it's going to be him and Kovacic uh, playing side-by-side. That as they look very, very effective for the weekend, so did Pedro, uh, along with Eden Hazard. So uh, not surprising to see them get a win, get the win out of very, very difficult venue. You know, we look at Hazard, right? And he, we see what Mertens did at Napoli. If, if he can get what he got out of Mertens, right? And he gets that out of Eden Hazard with his better ability. His overall game is a lot better as well. Could Hazard have a 25-plus goal season in the Premier League under Sarri? Easily. Yeah. Easily. He's got the talent and skill to do it. Uh, he does get hacked a lot. But uh, I mentioned uh, Pedro. I think he's someone who can take a little bit of pressure off of off of Hazard as someone who can make those similar runs, make those similar cutbacks into the box. Um, and, and playing on that right wing and letting Hazard kind of be even more unleashed. Uh, like I said, with Kovic straight behind them, uh, I don't see how you can even keep a, a, anyone in front of Hazard. He's so good on the ball, and you saw a difference in uh, Chelsea. They're just a different team with uh, Eden Hazard. And I, I do believe Sarri has found his Deutsch Mertens in, in, in Eden Hazard. He, he's, he's an upgrade, obviously, an upgrade. So. All right, here's my question. Do you believe in the football gods? Do you believe in karma? You saw a lot of it. Uh, if you did, if I didn't before, I believe in it now. You saw a lot of it at St. James. Yeah, you saw a lot of it at St. James. So our our U.S. men's national team players, since both of us are based in the states, DeAndre Yedlin uh, elbows Olivier Giroud in the face, and I know a lot of people have probably won the, done done that over their careers and give him a good elbow, and he does, and he delivers the cross, which led to the game getting one one. But at the very end, you know, the last opportunity, DeAndre Yedlin tries to clear the ball. And takes a ball that was off frame and puts it into the back of the net. And my mom always told me as a kid growing up, karma is an absolute bitch. And if you mess with her, she'll mess with you back. And uh, DeAndre Yedlin definitely had karma. And she uh, definitely got the better of him. Uh, Going forward, Newcastle, do you think they're good enough to stay in the Premier League? Or do you think it's just, again, they're not doing enough with the resources? And I know Rafa Benitez is a very, very good manager. You know, even though you know people can say what they want about him, he is a very, very good manager, and he, you know, he's taking nickels and dimes and turning them into quarters and dollars with the players that he's gotten. They were lucky to stay up last season. Do you think trying to do it two years in a row with, you know, a limited transfer budget? Do you think it's going to ultimately end up with the uh, the Toon Army getting relegated? Mm-hmm. 
it's even worse now with his uh, departure. Dwight Gale is a great championship striker. It's crazy when you talk about certain players like Dwight Gale. He gets 20 goals in the championship on a, on a promoted team every single time he's in the championship. He gets to the Premier League, and it's just... I, I don't know. I don't know what happens. You know, he's a professional goal scorer, and then he, he goes up the next level, and it's just... He couldn't buy a goal last season, but this year he's back in the championship and he'll get 20 goals in open play. I, I just, and it baffles me. Back in the Premier League and you'll see the same thing happening <laughs> next season. I agree, Tyler. All right, so Spurs have had a handful of chances. It should be like 3 or 4 nothing, but somehow United are being bailed out by really, really bad attacking play from Spurs. Uh, before we get on to our next couple of games, how shocked are you? that United, who kind of have been the better team of the two, are down 2-0 at Old Trafford to Spurs. None of this surprises me right now. Um, the only thing that might have actually uh, surprised me was how passionate and how how much running uh, all of the uh, United players are doing. Luke Shaw has been great at the left back, um, but not really surprised that they kind of collapsed after uh, after conceding these two goals, uh, especially after the second one to uh, Lucas Moura. So... Um, this might be the last night uh, that uh, Jose Mourinho is on the touchline for United. Nah, uh, he's not getting sacked. United gave David Moyes seven months. There's no. Uh, they gave him seven months and a horrible run in the league. They told him if he won the Champions League, he'd keep his job. And he got to the quarterfinals, and then he eventually got sacked. I don't see Jose being sacked after the night. I could see Jose stepping away if if that's what he wants to do. But you know. I still think top teams will still try to sign him if they, get, if they get desperate. But one thing that shocked me is that Hugo Lloris is playing. After being caught drinking and driving and being arrested, Last Friday. Yeah. do you think yeah. it's absolutely shocking and kind of deplorable from Spurs to actually play him? I, I, like, honestly, if my captain was caught drinking and driving and arrested and pictures of his mugshot was posted all over the internet... I think playing him in a big profile match wouldn't be the way I would. I would strip him of the captaincy, and I would have made sure I would have sent a message, and he wouldn't have played in this match. Oh. Uh, you don't. You don't play in the Monday night fixture uh, just days after yeah. being arrested for drunk driving. That's and you're like you said, you have the armband as well. Uh, it's clear that Mauricio uh, uh, Mauricio Pochettino doesn't really the morality of things, and he's proved it with uh, his players play on the park and he goes about things that morality is not necessarily a uh, high standard for a Tottenham football club. No, that doesn't surprise me either. So, uh, But all, all the same, it's still very disappointing. It sends a bad message uh, to the rest of the players in the club. And also, I mean, these guys are supposedly even little kids looking, looking up to them yeah. across the, around the world. So they're, they're, it's, it's morally uh, reprehensible. It's just it's terrible. It's terrible. You're a professional footballer, right? You're a professional footballer. You make millions and millions of euros, pounds, dollars a year. Why not just call a cab? Why not use an Uber? You have a cell phone. We all have them. We all use them. Yeah. I, I, sometimes it just baffles me, the decision-making. And then again, I have seen his distribution. I know his decision-making isn't his best trait, but I know, right? Oh, and, we'll, and, and I think that is a proper burn there. So, uh, Thank you. yeah, do better, Hugo. And it just... I just don't understand it. It's you could buy someone's house. You could do whatever you need to do to get the do the right thing. But you mentioned you are a hero. You're an idol. You're a captain of not only your club team but your national team. You just won the World Cup, and you do that. The fact that he wasn't stripped of captaincy by Spurs, and if he isn't stripped of captaincy 
by France. I, I just don't know what you could do wrong in this world. I, I honestly don't. It, it just it absolutely shocks me that things like this happen. Uh, which transition onto the Wolves versus Manchester City game. Wolves getting a draw, but City do have rights to be frustrated. You know, VAR, if it was implemented in the Premier League, would have probably ruled them against the goal that Wolves got. Uh, penalty decision probably should have been awarded. Uh, do you think City have an, a reason to have a gripe, or do you think... You know, last season, them having so many opportunities and so many extra minutes and stoppage time to get vi late victories, do you think they should kind of accept that sometimes the officiating will go against them? Uh, this time last year, they were allotted um, two extra minutes in uh, on top of four minutes of stoppage time on the south coast of Bournemouth. Raheem Sterling basically wins them the championship right then and there. Um, this time, they're not so lucky. The Malinu is... Uh, probably one of the toughest places to play in all of the UK. Uh, just just with the atmosphere, the structure, the design, the passion of Wolverhampton fans. Um, sometimes the calls aren't going to go your way, and there were those two decisions determined the outcome for Wolves. And listen, I, I as a Liverpool supporter, as someone who wants to see uh, City humbled this season, I have no issue with uh, uh, either decision. Still, is not a diver. That was a penalty. Um, I don't think the goal was a hand, uh, deliberate handball. Maybe he's offside. Maybe he didn't even know he scored. Uh, that's how uh, uh, cheeky, shady, whatever word you want to put on it. Um, that's that's um, yeah. That's that's how uh, weird that goal was. But it happened. It was awarded. Um, that's again. That's football gods. I'd rather leave VAR VAR out of it. And what happens, happens. And we saw a one-all draw and a very, very entertaining matchup. And I know Pep is upset, but uh, you shouldn't drop points with all that talent. Mm -hmm. Do you think Pep gets a pass by the media for some of his uh, antics? Because if you saw Jose Mourinho ever, after every draw or every loss go up to the match day official and complain to them about their officiating, what do you think the media would have done to Jose Mourinho if he would have done the same thing the last two oh. seasons? Yeah, he would have. Uh, he, uh, despite the scrutiny that uh, Jose already gets, uh, he would have gotten uh, would have gotten even more. And actually, he kind of leaves the officials out of it because he knows he can't. He he wouldn't survive that. He could survive it, but it would just get ten times worse. Mm -hmm. uh, Pep does get a free pass because uh, he doesn't have that reputation as a complainer. He has that reputation of a, a passionate manager, someone who really cares about the game sort of like this uh mad genius or if you would so you are correct he is a mad genius i do agree that he is a mad genius he's such a mad genius he can go to Bayern munich and go to manchester city spend billions of dollars and still not win the champions league without <laughs> Lionel messi and i mean yeah that's a mad genius if i've ever seen one uh i do believe with agree with you i think wolves are going to be one of those exciting exciting teams they're going to be that I, I don't think surprise package is a deserved term because I think we expected them to be very entertaining based on what we saw in the league last season in the championship. 46 matches, they were head and shoulders better than the rest of the teams in that competition. And I love Ruben Neves. I think that kid is going to be super talented. I think he's got top six ability. I don't know what club he's going to end up going to, but wherever one he goes to, he's going to be a very, very good player for a very, very long time. Uh, what is one position... If you had to choose one for Wolves, that if they improved on that one position, that could be the difference between them finishing like eighth or ninth, 
or maybe finishing seventh in the Europa League position. What do you think is the one position they should improve on in the winter January transfer window? Center back. Uh, I think that's a position that a lot of Premier League teams suffer from, just not having good quality uh, center backs. Uh, and maybe there's a lack of depth uh, amongst good ones available, but uh, they could use reinforcements uh, at that position if they really want to make that one to make that push uh, for seven, eight, you know, uh, six, even possibly to get a to get a to get a shot at Europe next season. It's within it's it's available, and they do have the resources available. Uh, to get that uh, reinforcement available to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned at Manchester City, and I made the joke about Champions League and how they can spend all the money but not actually get over the hump. The expectation is for them to finally compete and actually have an opportunity to win the Champions League. I've always, you know, you look at the Bayern Munichs, you look at the, uh, the Juventuses, they always have, they're great domestically, but what's always the one thing that's always, what do they want to win? It's the Champions League, and, you know, City have spent a lot of money under a lot of different managers, and they've always kind of come up short in the Champions League. The higher, you know, Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola is supposed to be the guy that brings them the Champions League. Do you think Manchester City will ever win the Champions League under Pep Guardiola? Uh, doubt it. Uh, there's just there's too much talent across Europe as far as the, uh, they look at the top of every domestic league. Uh, Spain, obviously, with Real and Barca, um, uh, just say it, Bundesliga, you're, you're always going to see Dortmund, you're always going to see Munich, um, France, PSG have boatloads to spend, and I'm not saying that those teams are a threat, but also there's a lot of competition out of Italy as well. Um, I just don't see cities having the, the true talent that it takes to, to bring the, uh, the silver, big silver lady home. How big do you think the Kevin De Bruyne injury is going to be to them? Do you think it's really going to be a negative impact on the team, or do you think they're just so talented and they've spent so much and they have so much resources that an injury to a Kevin De Bruyne shouldn't really make that big of a difference? It will be the difference between uh, between them finishing first and second this season. Uh, De Bruyne was just so great for them all last season, uh, even when Silva was out with um, with with uh, just family and injury. Mm-hmm. Issues. He was just so so brilliant for them. Just with the crossing, with the with the pressing, uh, the, the, the ability to pick out a pass just from anywhere in the park. Uh, you don't. Just, he's that. He he really is that talent that just separates City from the rest of the pack. And with them being out, sure they have an easy fixture list, but it's still you saw the difference against Wolverhampton. They just didn't have that uh, KDB, uh, especially there. He's just, again just. His, his shot, his, his passing ability, uh, he's just a wizard. He's a full, capable center midfield wizard, wizard who I would rate maybe the best in the world when fully fit. All right, let's transition on to the last game before we get our hot takes on this Man United Spurs game. We have Arsenal versus West Ham United. 3-1 victory for Arsenal. I still don't understand why they signed the two strikers in Lacazette and Aubameyang, if you're not going to play both of them, what's the point of spending 100 million euros on two strikers if you're not going to play both of them? Am I am I crazy? Am I delusional? Am I or am I right? Am I am I theory that if you're going to spend that kind of money on two players, you have to play them, right? You have to, and but here's the problem: um, Lacazette is a center forward, uh, and you know.
modern day football, you're going to see your number nine playing alone. Um, the most talented clubs in the world have a center forward, and, and maybe they'll have a cam behind them. Maybe they'll have a number 10 behind them. They'll have a couple of uh, dynamic wingers surrounding them. But the lead attack roles for that number nine and that number nine alone. Aubameyang is also a number nine. He is not a second striker. Neither of them are a second striker. And if you've seen Arsenal over the last six months, they neither of them, those two cannot play together. Um, and you've seen the, if Aubameyang starts, he flourishes. If Lacazette starts, he flourishes. But when those two start together, it's uh, or even when they're forced to play alongside one another, it's just terrible. Uh, so bad investment there uh, and, and, and Arsenal and North London it's just uh, one of those two have to be moved on, along and I, I, I don't know which one you choose at this point. If I'm Lacazette I go back to France football you go, go back to France go back to Lyon, they have a very exciting project going on right now you have the resources, I guarantee what you sold them for, you can probably get them for half of that and yeah. You know, you you splashed all that cash on a Bumyang who has the worst conversion rate of any top striker in the world, where it takes him two key chances before he finishes off opportunities. It it is an issue. It's a huge issue for him. And I think I had this conversation with a with a uh, with Critty Smith on Twitter, T Dunfooty D U N N E, where I said to him that a Bumyang is so good, but once he gets a little bit older and the pace starts to go. What will his career trajectory be like? And I don't see him staying in a top six club. He'll be one of those guys that's, you know, rotational player. You know, maybe he gets a sporadic start there and there. His career will will fall very, very quickly once he loses that pace because that's the only run he does is over the top. And if you can't catch him over the top, what kind of effect will he have, especially in the Premier League where teams sit back all the time? It isn't like the Bundesliga. It isn't like, you know, La Liga where... They're open-ended games with high lines. His game doesn't really transcend to the Premier League, which I think will ultimately be the reason why he's not successful at the end of the day. I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I can't add anything to that. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame, but I think we're starting to see that lack of pace mm-hmm. uh, starting to emerge now. So, West Ham, Pellegrini, he comes out and says that Jack Wilshere is kind of like Andreas Pirlo. So how blasphemous on a scale to 1 to 10 was those comments that he made comparing Jack Wilshere to Andreas Pirlo? Uh, I love smoking Jack, but that's a, that's a 10. That's a blatant 10, just like Pirlo's number. Uh, that's that's a blatant, blatant lie. And I think I know Wilshere uh, suffered from uh, lack of confidence uh, from last season and the injury struggles that he had in the several years uh, leading up to uh, playing for uh, playing top flight football again last year with Arsenal, but that he's no Pirlo. Um, there can only be one, mm-hmm. and uh, he's certainly not that. And Wilshire hasn't looked anything like his uh, his his creative self uh, this season at all. Maybe he needs to shave his head again. Maybe he'll get back to his original self. So West Ham United, not the most ideal start to the season. I've never been a big huge fan of West Ham. I think their move from Upton Park to the London Stadium, I think that's killed the atmosphere. There was once a time when you played West Ham and you said, shit, we got to play West Ham away from home. It was always a very ruckus crowd. They were very, very passionate, to say the least. Uh, their fans are crazy. They made a movie about the hooligans of the West Ham fans because they're literally nut jobs. They made a movie and it did very, very good business. But moving stadiums, uh, the connection between the fans and the ownership, and they're 
transfer strategy is very, very bad. They always sign players that, oh, they played for Man United, they played for Liverpool, they played for Spurs, and they were rejected at those clubs. They weren't good enough for those clubs, and now you add a manager, and I know this is going to sound really mean to Pellegrini, and I, I feel very bad, but they like to bring play, players and managers that were rejected by bigger clubs to maybe come and maybe reinvent their careers and maybe you know, t- you know, bring them to prominence. I think expectations are always super ridiculous at West Ham. I don't. It's kind of like Everton. Everton's always the goal is, oh yeah, we're going to qualify for Champions League. No, you're not. You don't have the budget and you don't have the players to qualify for Champions League. So why would you say you got, your objective is to qualify for Champions League? They're unrealistic expectations. And I always see West Ham as being that club that's always unrealistic expectations. Do you think the move to the new stadium, their signings and the players they have just aren't good enough to get the job done? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the boiling ground was probably uh, in its heyday, actually in all times, no matter if West Ham were struggling or uh, if they were uh, competing for a, in European or threatening for a spot in Europe, boiling ground was probably one of the top five toughest atmospheres. Uh, I always enjoyed watching matches there just because of the spirit of the fans, West Ham, the Hammers being so dynamic in front of that home ground. Um, it made every London Derby that much more special. But uh, it's gone now, and um, the London Stadium is not a football stadium. It's an Olympic ground, yep. and you can tell the difference. Uh, and even the players know themselves. I mean, they, they try, but, you know, that was almost a, uh, what would you say, a uh, performance-enhancing drug. 3-0, good night, United. Uh Looks for again. Oh, really? Um, so, uh, with that being said, uh, Felipe Anderson was a great uh, transfer, bringing him over from uh, Syria. But, uh, Syria. Yeah. but um, it's it's not going to matter uh, until they fix their back line. And once they, whenever they decide to do that, maybe they will uh, be, maybe they, they can uh, assert themselves uh, to, to challenge for Europe. But until then, you Shocking defending over the weekend. Um, an own goal, uh, just, just, uh, it just, uh, it's terrible. It's terrible. All right, let's wrap it all up. Let's wrap it all up. Spurs are winning three to nothing. I think we can all say that Spurs are going to win this matchup. Uh, you mentioned it. You think Jose Mourinho might be out of a job? I don't think he will be. I think they're going to give him time unless he decides he wants to walk away. I don't think he's walking away, and I don't think Woodward has the cojones to sack a manager three games in the season. If he does, I'd be pleasantly surprised. But I think we have to give credit where it's due. Spurs have been the more clinical team. United have had more shots. They've created more opportunities. But at the end of the day, uh, Spurs have been a little bit more uh, clinical. They got their opportunities. They got into better spaces, and they got the job done. Uh, Spurs, we mentioned it. They didn't do much in the transfer window. They didn't sign anybody. They kept the same team. And I don't think they are, in my book, I never said, yep, Spurs are going to contend for the title. I haven't, I've never said that. I don't think Spurs will contend for the title. But based on today's performance, if they can maintain this, Champions League, fourth place finish, it's got to be realistic, right? I would say so. I think uh, even one of their best wingers isn't even available. Uh, uh, Son is... at the Asian games, team, yeah, yeah, with the, uh, the Asian games, so um, they're a team with with again great first eleven. Uh, they could have used some reinforcements over the summer, but they, uh, Levy's a cheap bastard. Yep. Uh, so uh, so um, they they can finish top four again. I think they can finish third. They can even finish second. Uh, but again, it depends on uh, what they do against 
City, but they, uh, regardless of whether they have to play at Wembley or not, um, they're they're actually proving to be a very good road team this season, and this is a great great result for them. They do have the best defense in the league, right? Best center backs. Best. Probably. <laughs> I, would, I would give more credit to their wing backs and Trippier and uh, Danny Rose. Uh, you you don't you're telling me you wouldn't take a Alderweireld or Vertonghen any day of the week if it was offered and you guys were willing to spend the money? Wouldn't you take them in a heartbeat to partner VVD? No, no. Um, all the way, uh, Toby. Uh, I can cannot pronounce his last name. Toby is uh, somehow I don't know he, his lack of form of late. Uh, he was good today, but it's I'm really curious as to why he made so few appearances last year. Uh, Jan Vertonghen is definitely a world class center back, but I'm confident in um, Joe Gomez. So uh, they're 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 very good at the back. They are, and that's one of their strengths. And of course, we mentioned Hugo Lloris, uh, despite his. Uh, his decision-making abilities at times, their lack thereof on and off the pitch, he's still a very capable, very rangy, very effective keeper. Here's the thing about Spurs, right? I think Spurs, if they were any other club other than Spurs, I think the expectation would be for them to contend for the title. You can arguably say they have the best center backs in the league. They have probably arguably the top three wing backs in the league. Arguably the best striker in the league. A very formidable midfield. A decent manager. But if if United had those center backs, and if Liverpool had, let's say you took Bobby Firmino out and you put Harry Kane there, the expectations would be very, they'd be, oh yeah, we got to win the league. Look at our defense. Look at our, it's just, it's Spurs. And every single year, it's Spurs. Everybody makes the joke, oh, it's only Spurs. Oh, if Spurs finished fourth this season, Spurs finished third. It's Spurs, you know. That, that's that's what we expect out of them. There's there's not that high expectation for them. It's just Spurs, and I think that at the end of the day, that mentality of their kind of team is always going to be the reason why they don't compete for trophies. They don't win the league. It's because they're Spurs. There's always a better team, and there's always a, another step to take to achieve the very high level. That's just me. I might know, I'm going to probably have Spurs fans that are chirping me, saying that I got salty grapes, but. You tell me the last time they won a major trophy. Exactly. I can't do it. It's not in my recollection. Exactly. Uh, that, that cabinet's pretty dusty. It's a pretty dusty cabinet. The We mentioned the CEO, Daniel Levy. Yes, he did a great job. He resisted the money, but he's a horrible businessman, right? Oh, we won't sell within the Premier League, but we'll ship off our best two players we've had in the last 20 years to Real Madrid, and they're going to win trophies. That's what they do. That's all, yeah. they, that's all they do. That's literally what they did. Yeah. That's the... Uh, they won't. Um, they won't. It, they won't sell within the league. Very, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go, no, ahead. no. Go ahead. Yeah. They they sell all their best players abroad. They take less money. You, you could say United could offer 55 million pounds for you know Toby Alderweireld, and let's say Atletico Madrid wanted to sign him back. They would take 30 million just to spite United, just because they can. That's the kind of businessman he is. Oh, I'm not going to sell within the league. I'm not going to reprove them. And there's a reason why Sir Alex said I'm never going to do business with Spurs after he signed Berbatov. Because Daniel Levy's a pain in the ass. He's not someone yeah. you want to do business with because he's not a good businessman. He, you see the finish line with him, and then the next day he changes the finish line. That's not good business. That's just being a prick. It's bad business. And that's why they will always fail to achieve good results because their business is very bad. How do you not, how do you not improve this team? How do you not try to get more signings to improve the bench or improve the first 11? 
this team could have the potential to win a league title, but Spurs are cheap, and they're too busy wanting to play their games at Wembley instead of building their stadium to start the season. That's what Spurs care about. Always and always. Spurs care about that, uh, that commercial appeal. They care about being um, the hipster team in Arsenal. Uh, they care about having the NFL uh uh, being uh, having that connection, that corporate connection, that corporate tie—that's what they care about. Mm-hmm. All right, he is Stan White. We're going to wrap it up here as we head into extra time, injury time, as we see Spurs take all three points at Old Trafford for the second time this decade, the first time since 2012. Uh, Stan, where can people follow you on Twitter? Where can people, if they want to read your stuff, see your podcast appearances, where can they go to check you out? Um, so it's on Twitter. It's at Real White Dude FC. That's W H Y T E, like my last name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on Medium, uh, I haven't posted anything in a good bit, but uh, I do have uh, some selections, or all of my selections are mm-hmm. there. As same thing at Real White Dude FC. Um, also, podcasting wise, I am on the Liverpool Room. They're, they're a great team. Uh, so it's at uh, at Liverpool Room, uh, mm-hmm. and those guys are great. That to uh, interact and chat with. Um, their podcasts are available on SoundCloud, so easy to find. Uh, I have some appearances on there. So uh, some more, uh, I'll have, get some more content going mm-hmm. as the season goes along. Uh, and it uh, should be interesting to see what happens with these storylines. All right. So out of all the Champions League teams in the Premier League, which one do you think will be in the toughest group and which one do you think will get the easiest group with the Champions League draw? being this upcoming Thursday. Which team gets the toughest group and which team gets the easiest group? I think uh, Liverpool, well, I think they got slotted down to the easier pot, if I'm not mistaken, with the uh, with the uh, results uh, in Turkey mm-hmm. last week. I, I Don't quote me on that. But I could definitely see City getting a, uh, getting a similar draw as they did uh, last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so either Liverpool or City with a tough draw, Spurs might luck out and get an easy draw this time. They were uh, they were in a very deadly group last season with uh, Real Madrid and uh, Borussia Dortmund. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with, uh, with that draw this Thursday. Very, very big day. Very big day. All right. He is Stan White. Make sure you check him out on all of his social media. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Make sure you guys like, rate, review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to your podcast at. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Footy D-U-N-N-E. And once again, Stan, thank you so much for joining me today on Banter FC. Hey, Tyler, appreciate it. This is great. Kane has stolen it at the death. That's what he's there for. A pile of English joy. But as soon as it came to Mohamed Salah, he just slots it in the top corner. Top 90 for Mohamed Salah. Pick that out of the net. Wonderful ball retention too. Oh, well, Cockerham did his best to foul him. Still has off. Can he round this off here? Really wonderful. The brilliance of the Belgium. Now there's some more movement going the other way. In Manchester City Blue this time. Leroy Sané with two to hit in the middle. Jesus and Sterling. Silver and De Bruyne joining in as well. It is De Bruyne. It's two. It's clinical. From defence into attack in the blink of an eye. And a top corner finish of top quality from Kevin De Bruyne. Manchester City to emerge for the second half. Alexis. Pogba! Would you believe it? 
two goals in two minutes from Paul Pogba and Manchester United and we're level at the Etihad.